This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Last week we took a look at the holiness of God. We saw that His overriding attribute is holiness and all of His other attributes are controlled by this attribute. Today I would like to take a look at some of the ways God's holiness uh, manifests itself. The first one is seen in His punishment of sin. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that there, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air for it repented me that I have made him. This passage, of course, is talking about what happened just before the flood and what caused God to bring this worldwide flood upon the earth. God saw the wickedness of man, man who had been created of God, who had been provided everything that he needed from God, had turned his back on his loving creator. It sounds a lot like what's happened in America, and I could say throughout the whole world today. Their thoughts were evil. That is, they were always thinking about uh, their personal pleasures and their personal gain, and, and there was a lot of division and anger, and and just everything was, was contrary to the principles of God. It repented God. Now, repent means to turn, and God is not surprised at anything, so this is not something that, that happened uh, because God thought he'd made a mistake, but it just got to the point where where he uh, had to do something about it, and uh, this type of repentance is brought about with a terribly sorrow, or a terrible sorrow, I should say, in the hearts of the person who repented. And God's heart was broken over the fact that man had turned against him after he had done so much with them. God was grieved at the heart because of man's selfishness, his only being concerned about himself folks, we need to understand that when we follow God's principles, then it's best for us. But we as a people, and I'm sorry to say even as Christian people, have become so selfish and everything is about us and what we gain, what we get out of life instead of serving God and allowing Him to work through our lives and and to bring happiness and joy into our lives. we're going through difficult times in America today because of, uh, well, the political situation, but also because of this COVID uh, situation with our, our being locked up a lot of times in our homes, not losing our jobs, losing income, and all of these things. But we need to understand that if we don't think about ourselves and we think about God and we put Him first, it's going to change our lives. Of course, I digress a bit with that, but it repented the Lord because after all He had done for man, man had turned His back on Him. It was sufficient to cause God to destroy all of mankind. Of course, he did save eight people in the ark, but everybody else on the face of this earth was was uh, uh, killed in the flood, and it, it took a terrible toll upon the 
living creatures on the earth. Now you'll notice in our passage it doesn't say that he killed all of the sea creatures because he used water and they could live just fine through that. But he saw no other way to stop man's uh, wickedness other than just wiping him out and starting over. Now he chose to start again with eight souls, Noah and, and his sons and their wives. God hates sin and will punish it because he loves his creation so much and sin destroys his creation so he he must punish it he punishes sin because his holiness requires him to do so not because he wants to destroy us or hurt us Uh, god is not some mean ogre sitting up in heaven looking for ways to punish us but we force him to punish us because we refuse to to repent and turn from our sins and folks until we get back to understanding this we're not going to see a great revival like we would like to see in this nation. Uh, We need to realize that our sins, no matter how small, must be turned from, and we must get back to doing things God's way, following his precepts, and uh, making sure that we're right with him as we live our lives on this earth. We also see God's holiness manifest in his call to righteousness and holiness amongst his people. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He starts out in this passage by saying to gird up the loins of our minds. He expects those who are his children to change their thinking uh, and change their lives. You can't change your life without changing your your uh, uh, your thinking. God has saved us by his grace. What more could we ask for? We're all deserving of hell. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. And we need to to appreciate what he did for us. His grace is shown in the death of Christ on the cross. That's a great sacrifice. Imagine if you had to give your son to save other people. It would be very painful for you, and it was a great painful thing that God suffered, but his grace uh, caused him to offer us a way of salvation from the effects of our sins. As such, he expects it to have an effect on how we think to change the way we think. We should be grateful and thankful and and, uh, wanting to please God uh, if we expect to, uh, to have his blessings, but that's what he expects of us. He expects obedience in his children. We have children. Don't we expect them to obey us when we're raising them? Prior to our salvation, our father, spiritual father, was the devil. Listen to what it says in John 8:44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. 
we need to understand that that we're to be obedient in all things towards God and not obey the old ways, not be what we used to be. He expects us now not to act like children of the devil, but to act like children of God. And that's the very least he should expect from us. Uh, I think uh, of Romans 12, 1 and 2 that says, says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is uh, your reasonable service. Now, it's it's reasonable service. It's just what we should uh, should do. It's reasonable for us to do that. But it goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're to be moved from the form of this world. We're not to be conformed or have the same form of this world. We're to be transformed or changed, moved to another form, to the form of a child of God. And he expects us to obey him. He expects us to act like we were really the children of God, which we are if we're saved. Uh, We should uh, show forth the nature of our new father, which is God the Father. He expects us to show forth his holiness. God is holy. That means he's separated from sin and evil. He cannot sin. He, He cannot stand evil in his presence. And as his children, we should be the same way. We are to be holy. That means we're to live pure lives. We're to uh, live lives that reflect the salvation that we have. We're to be Christians or little Christs. We're to be Christ-like in the way we live our lives. And that's what he expects of us. He also shows his uh, uh, holiness in his separation from unrepentant sinners. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear God is able to save anyone. There's no sin too great for God to forgive, but we must come to him on his terms with a repentant heart and uh, a turning from our dead works and our own efforts to save ourselves and turn to Christ and put our our faith in Christ if we, we want to be forgiven. No man is too depraved Uh, for God to save. Think about it. The Apostle Paul was going around putting uh, Christians in prison. Uh, He consented to the death of Stephen. He was was a a wicked man. God was able to reach down and save him. There's nothing you've done that God can't reach down and save you, but he's able to save anybody. But he's waiting for us to call upon him. And we're not going to get there any other way. His ear is turned to hear the repentant sinner. Now, folks, the only prayer that a sinner can count on God hearing and responding to is the prayer for salvation. Now, not that prayer, formal prayer, is necessary for salvation. Believing is what it is. But but God does not hear the lost sinner uh, as he as he praise, if you will, when he goes through hard times or something like that, because he is in rebellion against God. But his desire is to save. Listen to what it says in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count, count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to save everybody. He wants everybody to repent, turn from their, their own efforts to save themselves, turn to him for mercy, and when they do, he will lead them to Christ, uh, and uh, they can put their faith and trust in Christ, and he will save them. Now, the iniquities of a lost man cause God to be separated from them, but the iniquities of of a a saved person are also going to cause a separation uh, between the the saved person and their heavenly father. It doesn't take away their uh, family relationship, but it takes away their fellowship, just like a disobedient child does not have the same uh, relationship with his parents as uh, does an obedient child. Listen to what it says in Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse 13 thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he God cannot even look on sin it, it, it it's an aberration to him he cannot stand it the iniquities of the unrepentant sinner cause a separation between him and God. And by the way, that's what uh, spiritual death is. It's a separation from the the lost person and God. And the new birth restores that that relationship. He only hears the uh, the prayers of a repentant sinner, as I said a moment ago. And we need to remember that even as Christians, we need to be right with him if we want to have our prayers answered. His holiness is also is seen in the punishment of the sinner. This next passage of Scripture is shortened in most of the modern translations because it seems repetitive, but you'll see as we look at it that it really is saying something that's very important, and there's a reason why it's repeated, but it says it's, it's in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 41 through 48, 40, excuse me, verse 43 through 48. It says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to go halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched where the their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of god with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched in spite of the repetitiveness of this uh passage where it keeps talking about being cast into hell uh, fire and, and uh, where the worm dieth not and things like this in spite of that repetitiveness it's it's important and there's a reason why this is repeated uh, three times the first thing it says is it's better to lose a hand and in this life than, than to be cast into hell this has to do with the things we do we, we work with our hands, we do things with our hands, and we're to 
make sure that what we do is right. It's better to lose a hand so we can't do evil things and, and, and live in this life maimed than it is to go off, uh, go through this life with both hands and end up in hell. Folks, what we do is important. What we do as Christians is important. It's important that we uh, live properly. Now, we won't go to hell if we're truly born again, but uh, we will lose reward when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. So God's holiness uh, obligates him to to uh, punish those who do wrong things. The next thing is the foot. It's better to lose a foot in this life and not uh, than it is to go to hell. Our feet are what take us from place to place. It has to do where we go. Uh, and, and folks, we need to be careful where we go. There are places we ought not be. We shouldn't be in those places where sin is rampant unless we're obligated to be there for some reason. We should not be going to bars and, and dance halls and, and places like that. We should not be going to these rock concerts even if they are called worship services in a church. We ought not to be there because those things contribute to sin and it's better not to go to those places. We ought not to go to places where we're put in contact with people who are going to draw us away from our God and and lead us into unrighteousness. Where we go is absolutely important. There was a day when no Bible-believing Christian of any denomination and some of them, not even such Bible believers, would not think of going to a movie theater because of the the sin that's so rampant in Hollywood, and they did not want to support that stuff. It's important that we're careful where we go. Where we go not only affects us, it affects those around us because it uh, it. Uh, is a testimony to others. If we're seen going places where a Christian ought not to be, folks, we have a, a negative testimony towards the lost that see us go there, so it's in, important. And the next one is the eye, which has to do with what we see. The Bible says that we're not to set any evil thing before our eyes. We're to be careful what we watch. We should be careful what we watch on television. We should be careful what we what we look at. When we go places today, and this is more for men than it is for, for the ladies out there, but when we go places today, especially in the time that's coming up as we're heading into summertime, there's such a tremendous amount of undress or immodesty in in the way so many women dress. And we as men need to make sure that we don't let our eyes focus on that stuff. Now you can't stop a uh, immodest woman from coming into your vision, but you don't have to look at her. You can turn your head away, and that's that's our eyes. And it's better to lose an eye than it is to sin and uh, be under the punishment of God. If you're lost, it means an eternal uh, damnation in hell. If you're saved, it means a loss of reward. And we need to be careful what our eyes see. It's extremely important that we watch that thing. It's better to be handicapped in this life than it is to go to hell. When it talks about their worm there, it's talking about their soul. It's talking about where the soul is going to end up. There are only two places a soul can go in death. One of them is hell and the other is heaven. Those are the only choices that there are. And we need to make sure we're going to the uh, to the right place. And the fire is not quenched. If you want to hear a good description or see a good description of what hell's like, read about the rich man 
who went to hell in Luke chapter 16 and it talks about the fire not being uh, uh, quenched there and he was suffering in these flames he was tormented by these flames why would a loving God send someone to hell unless the situation really demanded it if it if it wasn't so serious why would it send him there god sees the gravity of our sin and it's just the little sins over in james it tells us that if we uh, keep the whole law except one point and break it in one point that we're guilty of all what that means is that uh, when we sin we break the law we become lawbreakers and you can't stop being a lawbreaker when you've been one and there must be a penalty paid and we must come to Christ to accept the penalty that he paid for us or we must be punished for our own sin. I think about Abraham's adultery. By today's standard, Abraham having a child by a woman who was not his wife wouldn't be considered that grave of a situation because it's so common today that the the immorality, the adultery uh, uh, that's going on in our world. But I want you to look at what happened. We've had a tremendous problem with the terrorists of Islam in our world today. It's going on. It's It seems to be a little bit out of the news at least right now because of this COVID uh, uh, situation that we're going through. But that is a direct result of Abraham's sin some, I don't know exactly, but say 4,000 years ago uh, when he committed adultery and Ishmael was born, who is the father of the Arabs, who are the the source of the Islamic religion, and it said they would be a, a wild man, and they act like wild men. They go around killing anybody who disagrees with them. Even their own family they'll kill if they do something that's contrary to Islam. And that's a direct result of one man's sin many, many, many thousands of years ago. You don't understand the consequences of your sin, but God does, and it's serious, and God must do something about it. These first four manifestations of uh, God's holiness have been somewhat on the negative side. Let's finish this, this morning on a positive side. God shows his holiness in his provision for the sinner, in his provision for those who have rebelled against him, his offering a salvation plan for them. In John 3.16, and you probably can quote this along with me, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the whole world. He loves his creation. He loves every man, woman, and child ever born on this earth. Uh, it's his creation. He made it. Have you ever gone out and made something yourself with your own hands? Isn't that something that you have a special love for when you get through and there's a satisfaction there? Well, God loves his creation. He loves each individual in his creation. We are what he made us to be. Each one of us is a special creation of God. We're all different. Now, I know there's a, a, a physical process that we go through and you might say, well, God really didn't create each individual but yes he did each one of us is a creation of God he made us the way he he uh, he wanted us to be it says he formed us in the womb uh, he's concerned enough uh, for every one of us 
to count the hairs on our head. He knows how many hairs we've got. Uh, I happen to have more hairs at my age than most people my age, but God knows how many I've got. He knows how many uh, hairs, those of you who have your head shaved, he knows how many hairs you've got. He's counted them. That's how much he cares about each one of his children. And that's because of his holiness. But his holiness does require justice. And that's why he had to come up with a, a plan to save us so that there was a way that his justice could be satisfied and yet he could still forgive us our sins and keep us out of the lake of fire. Justice requires payment for an infraction of the law. We have the same thing in our in our uh, civil government today. We have laws and when you break those laws there's a consequence. It's, it's inscribed in the law when uh, somebody commits a crime, the law says this is the punishment or the range of punishment at least that it's for. If you have a speeding uh, ticket, there's a prescribed in law penalty that you must pay for getting uh, caught uh, speeding. And we've all sinned against God. Every last one of us have broken God's law. And we need to to realize that as such there is a punishment that must be paid for that infraction of God's law. God would not be holy if he did not uh, punish sin. The price of sin is the price of death. Now there's of course physical death and that's what most people think about when we talk about death but there's something much worse. worse. It's called spiritual death and that's an eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Lake of fire was not created for man, it was created for the devil and his angels. But if we choose to follow our pre-salvation father, that is the devil, then we're going to follow him all the way to that lake of fire. It's our choice. God does not get any pleasure out of sending anyone to hell. He wants everyone to turn to him and and come to his son for salvation and receive the gift that he offers us so free. But the death penalty must be paid. If it wasn't necessary, why would Christ had to have died on the cross? It's important that that we understand that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to pay our debt. But the debt had to be paid because of his holiness. His justice required a perfect sacrifice. If Christ had not been the virgin-born eternal son of God, he would not have been able to die for the sins of all mankind. Why? Well, he would have had to die for his own if he had sin in his life. If he had sinned one time, then he would be guilty before God, and his sacrifice would not have been sufficient for everyone. But since he was the perfect, sinless Son of God, his life was a sufficient payment to satisfy God's justice for all mankind. As a man, he became a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice, the only kind of sacrifice that could possibly have paid our debt. Anything less would not have satisfied the holy justice of God. God's holiness would not have been kept intact had he allowed anything else to uh, be the, the satisfaction for our sin because it wouldn't have been paid for with a perfect sacrifice. 
we need to understand that our God is holy. All of his other attributes are conditioned by this primary attribute. Today, everyone puts an emphasis on God's love. And the Bible does say God is love. And the Bible from cover to cover does show forth God's love. But it's only mentioned twice. And they're both in the same chapter. God is love. But God is also holy. God's holiness or the fact that God is holy, God is called holy more than 90 times in the scripture. Now doesn't that tell you where we should put our emphasis when we talk about uh, about salvation and the things of God? Doesn't that tell you that we should put more emphasis on God's holiness and that will bring us to his justice and his righteousness and his necessity of, of punishing the unrepentant sinner. Do you think we should put our emphasis where God does? Now, God does love us. He loves the whole world. He loves you. He loves me. He loves everyone. But he needs to satisfy his justice because of his holiness, and we need to keep that in mind. Folks, we need to get a view of God and his holiness before we can truly understand his other attributes, including his love. Even his love is controlled by his, uh, by his holiness. God's holiness is manifest in everything we see around us, but these five things are, are some that we, can help us understand it a little better. Next week, I want to take a look at how God's holiness should hack, affect our lives and what effect it should have in the lives of every Christian. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.